Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is looking back at our top 10 players in the NBA. So this is actually our 200th episode, and we actually have one of the guests from that episode on to not only look at his top 10 list and our top 10 list, but to come up with a new top 10 list and also um, look at some of the other storylines happening in the NBA. So please welcome back to the podcast. He is the host of The Impact. Please welcome Ian Evans. What's going on there? Wait, you said 200? Yeah, that was that was episode two hundred that we did that uh, the top oh. ten number. Oh, yeah, dang. this is like episode two forty three. What are you going crazy, bro? What are you going? Because <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm sorry, I'm like, I'm thinking like sometimes I'll be having to take weeks off and stuff for my pod, so I'm not even at I'm close to hundred. But like, you already know me, I'd be taking weeks off because I just want to. But hey, man, that's how that's how you know they be grinding, bro, for real. Like hey, they be doing their thing. But hey, glad to be back. Um, obviously the NBA season from now, uh, or from then to now, definitely way different. So I can't wait to get into it. Jalen, let's, let's get right into it. A lot to get into. Yeah, man. So the first thing I'm going to start out by doing is reading out, um, everybody's old list. So the premise of this exercise was we were looking at who the top 10 players in the NBA were, at least when our eyes entering this season, This was strictly based off of past performance, specifically in the season prior, as well as the circumstances of their current team and looking ahead to how they may be able to perform throughout this year. Now, of course, a lot has happened, especially with the crazy trade deadline that we've had. So this list is going to look very different from the list that we're going to share today. But the old list from episode 200, and of course, go back to listen to that episode. There's a lot of great insight, a lot of funny jokes, too. I actually listened back to the episode the other day to, uh, to pull these lists. Um, we're doing this without Brooks too. That's another thing. Brooks was on that, uh, that episode 200, uh, shout out to him who wasn't able to be on today, but let's start with Ryan's list. So Ryan's original list was Jason Tatum, number 10, Joel Embiid, number nine, James Harden at eight, Damian Lillard at seven, Nikola Jokic at six, Luka Doncic at five, Stephen Curry at four, LeBron James at three. Giannis Antetokounmpo at two and Kevin Durant at one for Ian. Ian had Jason Tatum at 10, Damian Lillard at nine, James Harden at eight, Joel Embiid at seven, Nikola Jokic at six, Luka Doncic at five, Stephen Curry at four, Giannis Antetokounmpo at three, LeBron James at two and Kevin Durant at one. And for me, Definitely took a took a very swinging approach. I had Paul George at number 10, Anthony Davis at number nine, Luka Doncic at number eight, Jason Tatum at number seven, Joel Embiid at number six, Nikola Jokic at number five, LeBron James at number four, Stephen Curry at number three, Giannis Antetokounmpo at number two, and Kevin Durant at number one. So, fellas, I obviously sent you guys uh, our lists um, via message so that you could use them as reference. And the first thing I kind of want to talk to you guys about before we get into like our new list and stuff is just reflecting on the list we made, right? Episode 200, this was back in September, like right before the season started. 
And I think expectations were a lot different. If you look at some of our lists, right, James Harden is now part of the Philadelphia 76ers alongside Joel Embiid as opposed to uh, being against him as a part of the Brooklyn Nets. You look at uh, guys like um, Damian Lillard, who we have on our list, who has not played for a majority of the season. Same thing with me putting Paul George on there. Anthony Davis, who's missed significant time. LeBron James has missed significant time. Kevin Durant. Like, the list goes on and on of guys that have, you know, missed time, have played well, have played poorly, um, guys who haven't been on the court in a really long time. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of fluctuation in, in the list when we share our new ones. But what are some, like, let's start with regrets. Let's start with the funny part. You know, I'll start with you. What's something about your list that you regret looking at it almost a, almost a full regular season away from when you first made the list? Whether it's how high you had somebody, how low you had somebody, somebody you left off your list that feels extra deserving right now. What's like a regret for your old list? Um, I mean, to be, to be honest, I don't really have like so many like super regrets. I mean, the, I guess the first one off glance is I had him beat a little low. Um, I had him at seven. Obviously, he's a top five player in, in the NBA. Um, I think that's the first one off rip. The other one, uh, I think I had really high expectations for Luca at the start of the year. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's had a great year, but I wouldn't put him in a top five conversation, and I had him in a top five. Um, don't get me wrong. He's still in, like, in my new top ten, but he's, he wasn't, he's not top five yet, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. And then, obviously, I mean, it's just un- unfortunate circumstances with Damian Lillard. I mean, he's still, when healthy, a top-ten player in the league. But, obviously, right now, as it stands, he's not a top-ten player. So, th- those are kind of the three, I guess, regrets that I have yet. Uh, Ryan, how about you, man? I mean, honestly, interestingly enough, and I remember this distinctively said by Ian in the podcast, you guys oddly agreed relatively to the T with you guys' list. There were a couple things here and there that were a bit of a shakeup, but for the most part, you guys were on a pretty similar wavelength. What are some like regrets in terms of your original list? So I guess one of my regrets would have to be not including John Morant, given what we know now about him. Um, John Morant just had a phenomenal season this year, a meteoric rise to MVP candidacy and, I mean, just not only looking at his play, but just looking at the Grizzlies overall, he's made that team significantly better with each year he's a part of that organization. Um, and I say this a lot. He, he goes back, uh, if you go back to the 2019 season, his rookie year, they were on the verge of making the playoffs if it wasn't for a playing game with the Blazers in which they lost a very close game. Uh, the next year, they beat the Golden State Warriors in the playing tournament. They ended up... Uh, going into the playoffs as an eight seed, losing to the Utah Jazz. And then this year, they're the second best team in the league. So it's just continual growth from John Morant that's really surprised me. And like I said, I mean, I didn't see this coming before the season started. So um, definitely a regret that I had before the season. I think um, Damian Lillard's injury hurts a little bit because I do miss seeing him on the court. I love his elite level scoring ability. It's amazing to see him. Uh, it's amazing to see him score forty points at ease, with with how uh, quickly he does it. Um, yeah, those are just some of my regrets from my list. 
So for me, I mean, obviously one of the easy ones for for revisionist history purposes is obviously like Paul George going down earlier on the season. Within the first three weeks of the season, you couldn't tell me that he wasn't a top five MVP candidate. But of course, only three weeks or so of the season is not a good enough sample size to really say much. The only reason I could call that a regret maybe is because Paul George has been a bit injury prone over the last couple of seasons so to put him in this top 10 area similar to anthony davis two players that like at their peak or you have to always attach that win healthy asterisk next to it is always kind of a dangerous thing and joel Embiid falls into the same category as well but he's actually been pretty solid this year so with that i would say the other thing that i regret bouncing off that joel Embiid point is that i feel like i put nikola Jokic and joel Embiid like criminally low you know, Nikola Jokic is coming off of an MVP season and Joel Embiid was right there behind them. Yet for me, they were five and six. Um, they definitely have both significantly moved up for me this season. Um, I did kind of formulate my list almost in like the order of like who I would have top 10 in the MVP right now. Kind of is like how I end up forging my new list. Um, so I think that'll probably show just how high I am on them now as opposed to before the season started because yes they are both top 10 players but I think within the framework of this season I did not project them to be able to continue what they did last year and I think they've not only done that but actually played above and beyond what they were able to produce last year but I want to ask you guys this too like what's a pick that you guys are like most proud of in terms of placement um one of the interesting things about our list the only person who didn't have Kevin Durant at number one was uh was Brooks actually. But other than that, we all had Kevin Durant at number one. But then when it came to number twos, it got number two and number three, that's where things kind of got a little tricky. So Ian, I'll start with you. Like like what was a, a pick that you like feel pretty proud about looking back at it now that the season is kind of like coming to a close? Um I feel like honestly, I'm not gonna lie, I mean it might be weird based on where their teams are. Um, I'm honestly like, okay, yeah, Giannis had three because I think Brooks and I kind of got into it because he had um, Giannis at number one. And I was like, you crazy, and he still is crazy <laughs> to this day. I don't care if he's not, I don't care if he's not here. You crazy, he's not there. Yet. <laughs> um, but I was like, yeah, I mean, because look, we know where the Lakers are. We can go on and on, especially as a Celtics fan. We we might get into <laughs> we might get into some of what we doing on the season, but that's besides the point. <laughs> um. But look, as a Celtics fan, I love talking about how the Lakers are trash right now. But you can't put that on LeBron because he's been putting up numbers. I mean, everybody's been hooping, but he's been putting up numbers. You know what I mean? So, obviously, when we had the conversation, I was like, it's either between one Kevin Durant or two LeBron James. One of them, two. So, I was like, we'll see how the year goes by with Giannis and how he, you know, comes back from, you know, winning a finals last year. Granted, they're doing all right. But you would expect them to be at that number one spot based on where they were, you know. So that's just my two cents. I still think I was very proud of that LeBron pick. Um, and I still was very proud of K- KD being number one. Granted, has he put up 50? No, but he's still been on, you know, multiple. Oh, man, you've got to watch out for KD. you got to make sure like you put up 40, 30, you know, at will. So uh, I'm still proud of those picks for sure. Ryan, how about you, man? So KD at number one. I'm most proud of that because, again, this is another case of I just love that he's back on the court. Um, He did miss some time with injury this season. So it definitely affected the Nets in that case because they went on a very long losing streak with James Harden at the helm. 
Um, and most of their roster pretty much was was not available. Joe Harris out for the season now due to an ankle injury, so that really hurts. But I think the trade deadline, it really helped the Nets get better. Getting Seth Curry, I think, was huge. Getting Andre Drummond, I think, was even better to boost up their front court depth. But again, just seeing Kevin Durant uh, back on the basketball court, I'm most proud of seeing him at number one. And I think that was one of my better uh, placings in terms of, in terms of my uh, list in the top 10. Um, I'm also proud of putting Steph Curry at number four. I think is not too high, not too low. I do think he is a top five player in the league. But I mean, with, with the incredible amount of, you know, consistency that he's been able to shoot the ball this season, you know, he, he's now the greatest shooter of all time. Most three-pointers uh, made ever in NBA history. So I think that he definitely has that going for him. Although he he went through a stretch where he wasn't really shooting the ball well because he was trying to break the record. But yeah, I think those are two of my better selections. Yeah, so I think it's interesting that you guys talk about the Kevin Durant thing. For me, unfortunately, again, I mentioned this earlier, the way I ran my list, and I'm sure everybody had different criteria, but the way I created my new list was more so within the order of the MVP. So I definitely ended up coming a bit lower on Kevin Durant in my new list. I also do think that to a certain extent, he was assisted from an MVP case standpoint, right, of just how bad Brooklyn got without him on the floor. Now, granted, there were other things factoring in, like, Kyrie Irving not being on the floor on a regular basis or the half energy of James Harden on a night-to-night basis, which obviously didn't help. And then when you factor in those two things alongside the fact that their supporting cast is older, not as productive outside of maybe guys like Patty Mills, maybe Cam Thomas here and there, um, it's a team that truly needed some help, truly needed a guy of elite status like Kevin Durant around. And the fact that they're afloat at eight right now in the standings i mean honestly i think things could have been worse which is which is a weird way to put it as well but um i think that's gonna what i'm saying is i think that kevin durant where kevin durant is on my list is just more so going to reflect on his time out um one of the things that i'm a lot more proud of is uh having jason tatum at seven now he does it truthfully he does move down for me um in my new list but that's just because of the elevated play of some of the guys that are on the list that were already on that list and some of the guys who have elevated into a different uh stratosphere this season with their play this year um and i'll obviously when we share the list out you'll you'll know who those guys are but jason tatum has been really really good over the last two to three weeks or so uh, we'll talk about it later about the Boston Celtics acquiring Derek White and how that's really helped their team flesh out. And they've just been playing really solid on-brand basketball. And I'm going to say this now, and we'll probably talk about it later, like I said before, but I think they're honestly one of the like more dangerous teams in the Eastern Conference in terms of being able to go up against those top-seeded teams. And even Brooklyn, who's at eight, who are, who are valued as title contenders, I think Boston has a bone to pick with all of them with the way they've been playing as of late. So Jason Tatum at seven for me, I I feel pretty proud about that one because even though he drops on my list for this new one, I still think that he is worthy of being in this top 10 conversation. I think a year ago, some people would have been a little hesitant to throw his name in there. Um, So now that we've reflected on our old list, 
Um, let's talk about the new ones. Ryan, I'm actually going to swing it to you. And um, I'm going to actually write them down as we go along because we're going to talk about risers, fallers, and um, all that in between. So whenever you are ready, my guy. Okay, so I had to do a lot of thinking and reshuffling with my list and definitely had to, it was definitely a hard time trying to come up with a consensus top 10. So here we go. Number one, Nikola Jokic. Number two, Joel Embiid, number three, Kevin Durant, number four, Giannis Antetokounmpo, number five, Steph Curry, number six, Luka Doncic, number seven, LeBron James, number eight, John Morant, number nine, Jason Tatum, number 10, DeMar DeRozan. Um, John Morant, Jason Tatum, DeMar DeRozan. All right. So based on that, honestly, Ryan, it's interesting that you ended up putting this way. I think we might have wait. Say it again. Similar, uh, you want to read the list out again? Say his yeah. Okay. So it was Nikola Jokic at number one, Joel Embiid at number two, Kevin Durant at number three, Giannis Antetokounmpo at number four, Stephen Curry at number five, Luka Doncic at number six, LeBron James at number seven, John Morant at number eight. Jason Tatum at number nine and DeMar DeRozan at number 10. Okay. All right. Yeah. I think uh, so, uh, Ryan, real quick, just to get your, your your thoughts on this, because again, I think we didn't really specify, I want to make this clear too, while we're going through this new list, we didn't really specify any type of criteria as to how to set up the top 10 list for our revisions. So for me, I mentioned it earlier, I looked at it more so in the case of if you gave me my top 10 ballot for MVP right now, what would that look like? And that's how I in turn formulated my list. There were a couple of adjustments here and there that took into account situation and things like that. But for the most part, that's kind of the the hill that I stood on. Did you have a similar thought process or was there a different uh, set of criteria that you used to kind of make your list? So the reason why it took me a while to come up with this list is because I was considering a couple of different things. One, the status of each player in the MVP race. Number two, the the play of uh the play from last year to this year and then number three the impact that they have on their teams right now so those are a couple of things that i based my list off of all right ian um you're starting from one or you starting from 10 on your list um i'll start from 10 actually i'll start with honorable mentions then i'll start with 10 so honorable mentions uh honorable mentions including damian lillard donovan mitchell Devin Booker, Trey Young, Kyrie Irving, and DeMar DeRozan. Okay. At number at number 10, I got John Moran. Easy. I mean, I really thought it was easy. You got to put him in there based on what he's been doing from this year to last year. Uh, number nine, Luka. He fell kind of a lot from five to nine on my list. I just basically where they are and what the other guys have been doing. It's just that was where I had them. Uh, number eight is James Harden. Number seven is Jason Tatum. That might be a little higher compared to y'all, but obviously I'm a Celtics fan. Also, what he's been doing. He hasn't scored under 20 points since February, like early February, by the way. Just putting that out there. Um, Number six is Curry. Number five is Jokic. Number four is Giannis. Number three is Joel Embiid. Number two, LeBron James. And number one, Kevin Durant. All right, Embiid. Kevin Durant. 
All right. And I'm going to ask you the same thing, Ian. Like, what was your, like, criteria? What was the criteria that you used in order to come up with your list? Honestly, looking at it, it is relatively similar to your older list with a couple of tweaks here and there, especially with some uh, some additions. Yeah. So, basically, it's just, you know, kind of how they've been playing individually mm -hmm. and where they kind of do stand in that MVP kind of race. That's why I do have Ja at 10. Um, also, how important they are to their each individual team. That's why I have Ja at 10 instead of higher, because even when Ja was out, Memphis is still a good enough team to beat higher te higher ranked teams. Mm -hmm. But he still is what, like, I think he's in the top three or maybe top five in points per game. That's outrageous right. compared to what he's been doing earlier. But I, I kind of took it in that regard. Also, in general, like, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to just say it right now. Uh, Ryan, I think putting LeBron at number seven is ridiculous. I'm not. <laughs> this is just me. That is just me because could you – like, he's doing this with a team that's ridiculously flawed. And I know he put it together, but it's flawed. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he's putting up 50, the fact that he's putting a triple-double on triple-double or whatever you want to call it, and still putting up this much production with a team that basically does nothing, he's literally carrying them to a play-in game right now, which is – with no AD, yeah. by the way, too. So – me personally, I don't know. But, um, yeah, so, like, individual performance, just in general, all-around play, and then uh, where you kind of do stand in that MVP race. So, like, I didn't mention him, uh, this one name on my list, because he has been injured since the All-Star game, is Chris Paul. Yeah. Um, if he was healthy, I would have switched Chris Paul for John Morant. Oh, but, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, and I think that's an interesting one to manage too, is I think you do have to factor in the injury impact on this season. I try not to let it have too much weight on my choices overall. Um, it's funny that you mentioned the thing about uh, Ryan putting LeBron James at seven, because I'm not going to lie, Ian, I got to keep it a bug with you. For a good, like, two to three minutes, I had LeBron James at, like, 10. And truthfully speaking now he's not there still but the reason why that was even the contemplation is because his impact on the floor now has become strictly offensive and with that being the case there's a lot of two-way guys or a lot of guys that have a significant role on the offense that when it's something about this team in general for the Lakers that does not work well whether he really is or is not on the court right it's one of those things where it seems like the only way that the Lakers are successful is if LeBron James strictly does it by himself, right? The only couple, the only, I think they've only won like two games in recent memory, and both of them were games in which LeBron James had to drop 50, now, uh, 50 plus. So those performances from an individual standpoint actually had a lot of weight on why I changed and moved him further up the list. But it also gave me this inclination that like it literally requires him to be superhuman in order for them to win, which I think is both a positive thing in terms of talking about his individual impact, but also a net negative in terms of what we know LeBron to be, which is a guy who is like a force multiplier, as most people would use in terms of talking about his impact on making the teammates around him better. And unfortunately, we just have not seen that impact like we've seen in years past. Now, I understand it's 37. You have to, you know what I mean? You have to be respectful in terms of how long this guy can do what he's doing, but he's also think top three I think he's literally number two in points per game this season so anybody who wants to make the argument that he's not in his prime or he's not at the top of his game or bring up his age I feel like it's also the same person that commends him for the fact that he's doing all of the things that he's doing despite not being in his prime or at the top of his age at the best age and all that stuff like that so 
I just thought that was interesting because I, I honestly did fight with where I wanted to put LeBron as well. But with my list, um, I have Nikola Jokic at one. Um, he's been one of my MVP front runners for the last couple of months now, and that's kind of like dictated that. Behind him is Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like I mentioned before, and I did move LeBron James up. He's at four for me. I think he was actually on. He was at four on my original list as well. Uh, I have Kevin Durant at five. This dip was strictly out of the amount of time that he missed, but again, the weight of how bad this team was without him on the floor has to keep it within the top five because of the fact that even with all the time he missed, he easily, easily is the the engine that makes this team go. At Luka Doncic at number six, I'm going to bring up something about that a little bit later on. At John Moran at number seven, I have Stephen Curry at number eight, DeMar DeRozan at number nine, and Jason Tatum at number 10. The, the main honorable mention that I had right behind Jason Tatum was Devin Booker with his production on the floor this season. Um, Ian, you mentioned it before. Players like Damian, uh, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, and Chris Paul were all other guys in consideration. Uh, differences in circumstances dropped them a lot lower on the list. Um, so, so guys, I want to start. Actually, Ryan, I'll start with you. What's something notable either on your list or on one of our lists that you would want to discuss about the positioning of a player, whether they rose or or they fell on your list or someone else's? So for me, I, I mentioned earlier, John Morant was a regret of mine of not putting him on my list when we first did this episode in September. Mm-hmm. I made sure to add him to my list, and he's definitely a top 10 player in the NBA. Same thing with DeMar DeRozan. He's been insane for the Bulls this year. Jalen, I know you can go on and on about it because you are a diehard Bulls fan, and DeMar DeRozan's impact on this team cannot be understated. He had an incredible month of February, and I think that's what helped him solidify his MVP case. Ian, I want to go back to something that you said about my idea of putting LeBron James at number seven. I agree with everything that Jalen said, and I think Jalen actually summarized all my points for me. LeBron James is not only the best player on the Lakers, he is the Los Angeles Lakers. He's the best player, head coach, GM. He does it all for this team. The thing is, and Jalen made this a good point, I'll reiterate it more. LeBron's a defensive liability. I know he's 37 years old. I'm not expecting him to play 100% on defense. At least give me 65%. At least give me 65%. I don't need him hustling back up and down the court every single possession, but I want at least 65% from him on defense. Because I think because he's the only because he is their best player and because he carries such an offensive uh burden on his shoulders that's taking a toll on him defensively where he's doing too much already and the fact that he's the was he the second leading scorer in the nba right now by the way 37 years old second leading scorer in the nba that's great and all but the team around him isn't producing so he's going to have he's doing more than what he's asked to do so it's taking a toll on him right now at age 37 where he can't do the main thing that he's supposed to be doing, which is being the best player on the floor, on both ends of the floor. And I think that's why right now he's number seven. So, Ian, I want to – Jalen, do you think – Oh, go ahead. Jalen, do, do you think LeBron is a defensive liability? 
Yes, but for a specific reason. The only reason why I feel as though LeBron James is a def- defensive liability is strictly because they've been having to play him at center for a majority of the season. The issue, the, okay. the thing that I struggle with with LeBron James, and this is not necessarily his fault, and that's why I couldn't drop him as low as I may have initially, is he's been asked to play center in the absence of Anthony Davis while also being asked to play point guard primarily in positions on offense. The thing about that is, though, this this heliocentric way that LeBron James has been able to thrive, again, they've only been able to truly win when LeBron James is in takeover mode and drops 50-plus points. I saw an interesting tweet, um, I think it was yesterday, that said the biggest issue with the Lakers right now in terms of Russell Westbrook's fit is essentially he's a 6'3 guy that is being asked to play small forward for the Lakers due to positional value focusing on putting the ball in LeBron James's hands to run everything. And I feel like the, the weird thing about that is there's the concept of putting the ball in your best player's hands being a net positive. And then there's in this, this segue of the team or this segment of the team being the issue of fit, specifically Russell Westbrook, there comes the idea of making puzzle pieces fit. And we've seen LeBron James make odd team structures make more sense than they do on paper in the past. Now, this is probably the most erratic you've ever seen, but I feel as though the biggest thing for me is that LeBron James's overall impact on offense has outweighed his ability and effort level on defense to the point that I think even if he wasn't playing center, I would not call LeBron James even a top 15 top 20 level defender anymore now I I don't know how much how slanderous that is when we're talking about a guy who's 37 should he be sitting in the chair guarding guys one-on-one regularly those are debates that everybody is allowed to have but um yeah man I, I think I think LeBron James's overall impact on the floor and his overall role this season has both has both helped and hurt him in a weird way let me ask you guys another question as to why this doesn't make sense to me. Okay. Um, especially the defensive liability part, because <laughs> y'all might be surprised with what I say. Um, do y'all think he's been a defensive liability his whole career? No. no. Yeah, no, no, no. Okay. So tell me why he has the highest defensive rating in his whole career this year. Because he's being asked to be a rim defender. No, but still... He's been doing that. He's been play, he's been played the three, the four. He's been asked to run the point when Dwayne Wade has been hurt with the Heat. He's been asked to run the point when he was with the Cavs. It's not like this is all new to him. True. He's been doing it for a while. True. This is the first year he's had to play center, though. I will. Yeah. Say yes. But he's been he's a positionless guy. He's been doing it for years. He has a defensive rating of one hundred nine point five. That is the best in his career since. The 2018, the 2017, 2018 Cavs when he had 109. Mm. I genuinely don't understand how he's a defensive liability. If anything, it is a whole team collective defensive liability. If you look at it, it's not just LeBron. Their whole their whole defensive rotations are off. Like I'm not going to curse. Like a MF for real. You have guys who shouldn't be open on the three, wide open. You have guys rim running, wide open, going rim to rim, and not even getting a bump. Some of it is on LeBron, I will say, yeah. Taylor Horton Tucker just be running for cardio. 
I don't. Where has Chris Dunn been the whole year? Is he still in? Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. Melo be taking shots like it's his team. Russ is Russ is so confused that it makes me confused that I'm not even in the game. <laughs> like I get, I get. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying LeBron's not in fault at all. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, he gets some of the fault. But if he's a defensive liability and he hasn't been a defensive liability his whole career. Mm-hmm. How the hell does he have the highest defensive rating in his career this year? I think, I think, I think to your point, I think the issue here is probably the word defense. I think defensive liability is maybe where it stretches. I feel like the effort, effort is one thing. I can say if if he lacks the defensive effort, sure. Say yeah, yes. and I think, but I think that's more, yeah. I think I agree yeah. with you more so on that point. But the thing about that for me, Ian, I think more specifically for this team, is that lack of defensive effort is very reflective on the overall production on the court for the team as a whole. And we've seen literally in a defensive built roster for the for a LeBron James led Lakers team that with defensive personnel around him, his his effort level was I think I think the weird part is is he's taken up the identity of his team despite the fact that he creates the identity, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, this yeah, team has become sense. an offensive driven team despite the yeah. fact that they won the championship based off of defensive personnel. And so, therefore, yeah. I think the idea is he's turned into a guy who, in a sense, because of his team, if if nobody's going to play defense, I'm not going to play, again, maybe as Ryan mentioned earlier, like above 65% level defense in terms of, um, in terms of being effective on that side of the floor. And I think with that energy level, it's it's kind of a thing that's permeated throughout everybody. I think because he's had to take such a significant offensive role in ways I don't think he's had to do for a while, it is in a sense turned the rest of the team into much more of an offensive oriented team than it already looks like on paper. I think I, I agree with you and I, I'm willing to take this one on the chin though. Liability, I think, is a stretch. And I think that's where that's that's, all, that's, that's, that's where I'm willing to agree with you. Yeah. That's where I'm willing to agree with you. Yeah. Is liability may be a stretch film. Film will show that there are miscues, miscommunications, yes. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, effort issues, quote unquote, here and there and stuff like that, reservations. Um, but I, I do have to agree with you because I saw a similar stat, and that's, and that's why I, I, yeah. I am having a small change of heart. Yeah. See, see, liability is just like a super strong Yeah, word. right, right, right. Because it makes yeah. it seem like you're a non-factor in terms of the defensive like, end. Right. Like defensive liability, and I'll say because I hate him, I also have a strong bias against him. Is Ennis Freedom? I just hate him. Like he sucks. Simple as right. that. You know, defensive liability. Who cares? Right. Trey Trey Young would be considered a defensive Trey, liability. Exactly. Right. That exactly. Right. And but like effort, effort, I completely agree with y'all with because it's not there. But like liability is like okay, literally he helps at no right. way whatsoever defensively, right. and it's like. Well, but no, I see what you mean, though. Yeah. I see what you mean. And I mean, uh, to be fair, like I said beforehand, I moved him up to four because personally, I had him at 10. Okay. I had him at 10 initially, and it had more to do. Oh, you had him at four? I have I have him at four. Oh, I didn't even yeah. I didn't see. I, maybe, maybe I should have let you read your. No, read your it's okay. It's okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I had him at four. I had him behind Nicole Jokic, uh, Joel Embiid, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. To me, I personally okay, had him at four. That, honestly. That's and the reason the 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 reason why he and he was on four for me for my older list as well, but I think more so now. The thing about LeBron James this year that I've struggled so much before, but with more than ever, is like this is a season where I think 
there is a clash of agendas, if that makes any sense, right? There's the sense of chasing the Wilt Chamberlain stats and stuff like that, um, and the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's uh, career career uh, points uh, points per game and stuff like that, that I think yeah. has had a significant impact. Because if you look at it, like LeBron James is playing insane level of minutes, and I do understand that there's a certain need for it, especially with AD being out, but it just feels like we are not getting a fully actualized LeBron James when you talk about the idea of a guy who has a uh, a tick mark next to how much time he has left to really pursue a championship. Um, no, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And so that's probably one of those biggest things that's been kind of like bugging me a little bit. But Ryan, I want to pass it back to you because again, th- this argument, I-, I actually played a lot more defense for you than I actually meant to. And I apologize for that. But, um, I, again, I had him at four. You had him at seven. So it's probably best for you to uh, speak more on that. And then we'll actually transition to maybe a, a player that Ian wants to talk about from his list. So, Ian, you mentioned the defensive rating. And I think you may have already made this point. But LeBron's defensive rating is so high because he's playing all these different positions on the floor and that his team isn't doing the work for him. The thing is, the supporting cast isn't stepping up for him which is why he has to do most of the defensive work. And it just seems like if he doesn't play defense, like Jalen mentioned, nobody's going to play defense. So the team around him is not performing defensively, which is why he has to do more. That's what this is all going around. Right. A defensive liability literally means that if you get matched up, like LeBron can guard one through five. When when effort and like, okay, let me put it this way. I can put in defensive effort. I can put in 100% defensive effort. Like, if you put me in the NBA, I can put in 100% defensive effort. I can be scrappy, whatever. But I am for sure a liability because I'm a mismatch from every position one through five. There is no way in hell LeBron is a defensive liability. He can guard one through five. Effort doesn't equate to liability. Trey Young puts in effort defensively. He cannot guard anybody past the two position. When you really think about it, he puts in effort. You can see it. John Moran puts in effort, but I'm not going to, John Moran isn't a defensive liability, I will say, because he has the speed and aggressiveness to actually guard one through four. But liability literally means if you put LeBron on like a Cole Anthony, Cole Anthony will immediately get a bucket. Or, or, um, you put LeBron on a – well, I mean, granted, Giannis can do whatever the hell he wants, but he'll get immediately get a bucket. Or put it this way, a liability means like – because even mm. Steph has had his problems guarding him. Chris Paul. If you put LeBron in a Chris Paul, he will immediately have a problem. LeBron has even showed he can guard the shiftiest whatever guys. So my thing is I think liability is legitimately a stretch because he can guard one through five. Now, like I said, I agree with effort. Effort is, of course. I mean, hell, if I'm playing with the Lakers, I'm not putting. I'm not putting in sixty-five. I'm putting in forty because this team is garbage. If I'm <laughs> the only one putting in a hundred, and I'm still finding ways to put up fifty, why the hell do I have to do it on both ends if no one else is trying? So that that's the thing, and that's what I was trying to get at. It's about consistency on defense. He can guard those positions. That's no problem for him. It's just about consistency throughout the game and that's what in my opinion that's what makes him a liability on defense because he doesn't do it consistently enough 
where, again, I'm not expecting him to give 100%. I'm expecting him to give at least 65%, where he can make this Lakers team, where he can keep this Lakers team in games with his defensive acumen, even though somebody like Russell Westbrook isn't going to do that, even though somebody like Taylor Horton Tucker isn't going to do that, even though somebody like Dwight Howard isn't going to do that. LeBron is their best defensive player, and it's not even close, but he's not doing it at a consistent enough rate to help this team win games. What do you mean consistently? Do you mean like just define consistently? Because that's what every game. That's what efficiency. Every is. game. Every game that he plays in. I wholeheartedly disagree. I'm not even gonna lie to you because. In every game he's played it, like what what was one of the what was like the last moment you saw like uh like he wasn't consistent defensively? The game against Phoenix recently. It, it was the game where, where they lost one forty to one eleven. Can you blame him? That was like the most that was that was the most recent game, but he's had games where his one on one matchups just have not gone his way. Who? You remember the game against uh, Dallas with Luka Doncic when he was matched up with him one-on-one? Yeah. I think we're all reaching here because, I mean, unfortunately, the Toronto game did just happen um, from the moment of us. And then the Toronto game as well. And I'm not adding to the point necessarily, but that was an overall not great offensive or defensive game for the Lakers in general. Yeah. Because that was a that was a game that started out like twenty to two or something ridiculous like that. So it was, like, yeah, it was nine, it was nineteen to two. In yeah, the first and I think Scotty yeah. Barnes had like eight in that time frame. So I mean, like that's that's both a that's a weird. Okay, so here's how I'll put it because I can double check this really quick, and then we got to move off LeBron James because I know you guys go. Jalen, I'll, I'll say I'll, I'll say one more thing though too. Like if you were watching that game, LeBron was getting frustrated with his teams unwillingness to commit on defense. He was getting frustrated at his team for not getting rebounds. I think he was yelling at uh Wenyan Gabriel or or uh yeah Wenyan Gabriel because he wasn't getting the rebounds. And that's where again it's like you don't blame him, but for my list, I put him at number seven because of a multitude of different things. And that's where I've rated all these players. So Ian, I want to ask you one more question, and we got to move off LeBron because yeah. I, I know he's a very controversial topic. Trust me, I, I went on TikTok and made some LeBron comments, and you, you'll find out who's a LeBron fan very quickly. But something I do want to ask you though is, I do understand that LeBron individually has been playing some of his best defense overall, but I I think maybe maybe consistency is not the right word, or maybe it's not about liability, but maybe it's about overall impact. This is a team that, in terms of defensive metrics is still a middle-of-the-pack defensive team, and they're the third-worst scoring defense in the league. Now, I understand that as a as an individual defender that the, the impact, I guess the impact is there, but I guess maybe I guess maybe the argument is more, again, I'm not making the argument. I had him at number four. Uh, I got to keep making sure I preface that, but like, Maybe it's more about the idea of his impact on the overall defense as a whole, as a guy like that, like LeBron James, who with his switchability, with his overall impact on um, on bigs and guards, has the chance to make the lives of other guys easier on the defensive end, yet in the metrics, it doesn't show. Um, I just want to ask you your thoughts about that, and then, of course, we can... Well, move. yeah, I mean, again, that's more so a team collective type of thing. Like... So, mm-hmm. yeah, they, do they – look, I'm not going to say the Lakers are a great defensive team because they're not. 
No, but I don't think anybody's no. making that argument no. at all. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm still not going to call him a liability. I didn't like when, like again, when I mean liability, like put it this way: sure, Luca had 25 against him. Luca's going to get a bucket whenever. LeBron, LeBron, and Giannis, same thing. I'm like, like if, if the Bucks lose to the Lakers and someone says, "Look how he played against Giannis," Giannis is going to get 30 at will. Like you know what I mean? Like, I'm, you, like do you yeah. expect like? Yeah him to completely shut him down like no one's ever going to do that against a superstar matched up on the superstar unless you're Steph who again went through a slump jacking threes but again that's Steph that's a smaller guy but like going up against the Suns I completely didn't understand okay and I will give you Scotty Barnes he did put up 25 that will I will get to you because they went crazy but he did he played pretty well against the Suns I will say that right now if you're I mean Jay Crowder is his matchup and he only had 11 points that's what you should do. I mean, it's Jay Crowder. Who cares? He's right. supposed to, like, well, one, Jay Crowder's not a scorer. And he made sure he wasn't going to be a scorer. So, like, the Suns the Sun, the Sun <laughs> right. game is completely on LeBron. LeBron. LeBron had 31. Like, what do you you? I'm not, putting, I'm not putting the Suns game on LeBron, but I was just saying as an example. Like he, and maybe the Suns game was a bad example. Yeah. But I – I'll say the Suns game was a bad example because I don't. At times he did not play well on defense, but overall you were right. I thought he played a lot better than than he did in previous okay, games. I'll, I'll the Toronto game was a bad example, or the Toronto game was a better example. Yeah, I thought Toronto. I thought Toronto was much more like more recent, but also that's much more. I, that's where I'll admit I was wrong because I think the Phoenix one no, was a bad no, choice. The Raptors yeah. and Dallas, that was, those were good ones, but you missed like five, like five six games in between Dallas and the Raptors. You know what I mean? Meaning there right. is consistency in between there. You know what I mean? So like, right. <laughs> I see I see what your point is. When you say consistent, you you're thinking from a game to game basis and you're like, eh, well, game sixty something and game seventy something are two totally yeah. different. No, like, you know, I, I, thing, I see what you mean. To end it, because no, I know for sure also two more things, but just to end on LeBron, I'm gonna try I'm gonna try and talk about the Lakers. They suck. But Yeah, of course. Yeah, but, of course. No, I will say the one thing I will agree with you with is the effort. Clearly, he's not putting in that effort. We know that. I mean, we saw it on the Cavs way mm-hmm. back in the day when, you know, that whole thing when he brought, like, the Dwayne Wade year, which was just weird. But, like, same thing there. But the last thing I will say, if a Celtics fan is defending a Laker LeBron James this hard, True. there is some merit. Yeah. Because I hate the Lakers. That's besides the point. <laughs> hey, so – like, yeah, like, so I, yeah. like I said, I was wrong. I like I said, I'll, I'll be no, uh, but you, I'll but be you have the, you have the solid points because effort, like, clearly isn't there. And obviously, like, especially if it's your team, what, I know I'm going against myself here, but I'm adding to your point. If you're going against, like, if you made this team, put in the effort. You know, like it's not like the front right. office picked it; you picked it. So yeah, I got you. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. So, so Ian, I'm actually going to keep it with you, though, because in terms of your list, like I want to get your thoughts on like a player or a specific situation of a riser or a faller on your on your top 10 list. We talked about LeBron for a pretty yeah. long time, so I don't want to lose the premise of no, the no, pod, good. but I'm really intrigued. No, to see honestly, what that's good content, though, it is. Um, but look, sure. <laughs> let me go. Let me get my guy, Jason, man. Let me. Look. OK, look, I, like look, it. I had him at 10. And I think one of the actual conversations mm-hmm. we had, because Jalen, you were actually surprised I didn't have him hired because I was a Celtics fan. And you were like, mm-hmm. well, I think he needs to prove himself a little more this year because he was a little inconsistent from times last year. There were times where he would put up 30, and then there were times where he'd put up, like, 11. We're like, what are we doing? Like, you're supposed to be a superstar. And, like, I needed mm-hmm. to see a little more. Boy, has he showed a little more. <laughs> My God. Boy. Yeah, boy. What? 
I'm talking about he putting up 50 against the Nets, who are actually the favorite to win the East, by the way. He's literally, mm-hmm. well, him and JB, but when JB was out for some time, he's literally made himself and the Celtics one of the scariest teams in the East to actually be one of those upset mm-hmm. teams that could make the finals. I'm not even going to lie to you. Again, it depends on where we're actually seated. But he's, he literally has made the Celtics from a 500 or dang, like they're really a playing team to this is a solidified playoff team that could make noise come playoff time. Like I said, he Mm -hmm. has not put up under 20 points since the beginning of February. Do you know how crazy that is to put that in perspective? Guys like Steph, LeBron and James Harden have put up under 20 points since that time and talking like three prolific Mm -hmm. scores. That is absolutely ridiculous. Now, that's obviously one I'm very proud of because, look, like he's, he literally proved me wrong. And that's like, I like that he proved me wrong because obviously he's on my team. But there were a lot of people mm-hmm. saying at the beginning of the year, and I'm going to get on him right now, oh, you got to trade one or the other. Man, if y'all sit down. Uh, I know what's coming. sit down, stay <laughs> off the snow, stay off the crack cocaine, please. Thank you. Why would we want to trade uh, two stars for a package that might not work? And I will say this because I, I know we'll probably talk about it later on. But Jalen brought up Devin. I mean, uh, Devin White or Derek White. Sorry, Derek White. Mm-hmm. Derek White. Mm-hmm. What an addition he's been. He's everything Josh Richardson wasn't for us. Granted, don't get me wrong. I did mm-hmm. like what Josh Richardson did at the time, but he was again. We'll talk about inconsistency. Josh Richardson, Jesus. Anyway, <laughs> but but that's one guy I'm really high on on this list because man. You want to talk about, uh, like, like he's already gotten better year after year, but he's taking another leap. You know how hard that is to do, especially with that much pressure on your back. And then another one I'm, I'm proud of is Ja Morant. I mean, I, I think we can all be- agree that Ja has had one of the most, like, he went from being an MIP candidate to, oh, no, he's in the MVP conversation. Obviously, if you're in the MVP conversation mm-hmm. and your team is, what, second in the West, you're going to be in that top 10 conversation. Now, the only thing I guess going against him is, granted, when he was injured, they're still good enough to beat good teams, you know, give or take, whatever. But those are the two I'm very proud of because they're young guys putting on for their squads. It's unreal. So obviously, I mean, I feel like we should have known it was Jason Tatum for me, but but yeah, but yeah, that's, that's just me. For sure. And I think so. So the funny part is, and, you know, we're going to get into the Celtics a little bit more in depth later on. For me, Jason Tatum's rise is so huge because, well, I have a personal stake in it. I'm not sure if you guys have heard this podcast enough, but um, your boy is a Bulls fan. And um, if the standings ended as they are today, we got to see them boys in the first round is what I'm saying. Um, So with that being the case, the fact that they've been playing some of their best basketball as of late, as opposed to the Bulls, who I've had to write about during this entire stretch, including losing to Sacramento the other night, is really still trying to figure themselves out. Granted, there's still a lot of injuries. We're getting Alex Caruso back from injury. It's still F. Grayson Allen to the day I die. Um, still waiting on Lonzo Ball to come back. And there's potential that Patrick Williams could be back on the floor before the playoffs as well. So I know we have a lot of holes that we still need to fill and a lot of questions we still need to answer. One thing I do not have the answer for for sure is who's guarding Jason Tatum? Because right now I do not feel confident about that, regardless of the circumstances. I would assume who I feel very confident in, but I, if you put Io on Jason, who's got JB, maybe Alex does, but I don't love that as much as I think that Alex Caruso is a very pesky on ball defender. I still just don't love our defensive personnel against the Celtics. And I think the Celtics, 
are officially in a position with Derek White where like they are officially going to be playing eight players who are all good. You are never going to have a a Celtics rotation in the playoffs where you're like, he's the one we're going to pick on. Like he's the guy that's the, that stands out. He's the glaring issue either as an offensive threat or as a defensive liability. Like that's what scares me most of all. And I think the interesting part about all of that, focusing on Jason Tatum, because again, we'll get into the Celtics a lot more in depth a little later, but focusing on Jason Tatum, he is starting to move away from the Carmelo Anthony Mamba mentality, Kobe Bryant on ball, pound dribble, the air out of the rock offense that in a way put him on the map, but in a sense, I think was his biggest hurdle to jump over in terms of progressing as a as a fully actualized superstar threat because i think now he's a guy that is starting to really see reads he's a guy that's committing himself on the defensive end you want to talk about stuff like that he's rebounding at a high clip too which is huge for them because ian you've lived through this we've talked about this on the podcast the Boston Celtics have been a struggling rebounding team. I mean, struggling rebounding team over the last couple of years. So the fact that he is committed from the wing position to rebounding, that has been huge by itself too. So Jason Tatum's rise has been huge, and I think it's really important to what they're going to do moving forward. Ryan, I want to get your thoughts on Jason Tatum um, real quick. And then I want to ask Ian a really interesting question uh, about somebody that he has on his list that um, according to our list, would be too low. So I want to get his thoughts on that, but I want to hear your thoughts on Jason Tatum first. Honestly, Jason Tatum has made this Celtics team a lot better than where they were at in the first half of the season, especially considering, again, like you look at the defensive acumen of this team overall. Even Jason Tatum's gotten a lot better as a defender and Boston's now one of the strongest defensive teams in the league. Not to mention, I mean, just his ability to grab rebounds at a high rate there. There's no elite level rebounder on the Celtics right now. So the, the effort level, and this is something that I've been harping on the entire episode, but the effort level of a guy like Jason Tatum to grab rebounds at a high rate. I think it says a lot considering he's not the biggest guy on the court. But he's he provides a lot of effort on both sides of the floor where he's helping this team win a lot of games. And I, I think his his fourth quarter stats, something I mentioned last year, I think they they're pretty even from uh where he was at last year with his clutch stats to this year with his clutch stats. I think he's somebody who's always been reliable in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, he's always been reliable with the ball in his hands overall. Um Honestly, I just think that he's been the go-to option for the Boston Celtics. He's taken an incredible leap from last year to this year, not even 25 years old. So I think that's another thing we had to consider. Ian, I think it's a really good time to be a Celtics fan right now because you have a franchise icon in Jason Tatum and then Jalen Brown, a solid second option. The team around him, significantly better than what it was last year considering what, what was the one thing that we talked about last year as a problem for the Celtics bench mm-hmm. scoring mm-hmm. upgrade on the bench so honestly you, you you did everything right now you're one of the top teams right now in the east yeah man I think that Boston is in a really interesting place right now Jason Tatum has a lot to do with that Ian I want to ask you a question 
about Nikola Jokic real quick. Now, this is not criminally low. There's no beef, I think, behind my question to you. Um, but you had him at fifth. Me and Ryan both had him at number one. Now, again, I think we all played our criteria is relatively different. Me and Ryan were a little bit more on the same page in terms of um, our our top our top group. You had him at number five. I just want your thoughts on Nikola Jokic um, overall this season and kind of moving forward, considering the Denver Nuggets are looking like a, a real potential threat in the Western Conference. It was uh, noted the other day that Jamal Murray will be working with the uh, the Grand Rapids. Uh, the Grand Rapid team for the G League. So he's officially in go mode now. We're just getting closer and closer to being on the court. Nikola Jokic is ninth in scoring, second in rebounds, seventh in assists, and he leads the league in player efficiency rating for a team that, granted, is not a top two, top three seed in the Western Conference, and I will throw that into a, a consideration. Um, But as a guy who's kept the team afloat that – outside of a guy here or there really doesn't deserve to be in the position that they're in. So I just want to get your thoughts on Nikola Jokic's season. So I mean, far. don't get me wrong. Obviously he's an MVP candidate. He's probably top two, obviously with Embiid. Honestly, when you really think about it, it's probably going to go down between them two again, um, unless somebody just mm. finds a way to catapult themselves into that conversation. Um, yeah, this might be a little disrespectful. I'm not, I'm not even going to lie. Um, you know, put him at five. Granted, you know, obviously there's cases for the four. Obviously, we talked about LeBron. We're not going to do that again. But um, I think <laughs> I think part of the reason is because, you know, when you really do look at it, they are like borderline kind of playing with staying at a six seed or playing in the play-in right now, which is a little weird True. seeing that, you know, again, they are a great team right now. And it's like, it, it's not necessarily like, I got to go back to it. It's not like, oh, it's all on Jokic. There are great guys around him to actually help produce. I mean, you got Will Barton, Reddit, Porter Jr.'s out for the year. I mean, they're, I mean, they're targeting different mm. uh, you know, playoff, you know, comment dates for the playoffs, same with Jamal Murray. But don't get me wrong. I mean, they still got guys mm. who produce at a high level on both ends of the floor. So it's like, it's still a little weird how you can't jump a team like the Mavericks. Don't get me wrong. The Mavericks are playing great basketball right now. But like, I mean, even the Jazz have been on and off as of recently. Uh, don't get me wrong, like, they're still a great regular season team. But, like, based on where they were last year to this year, it's like, this is interesting. Now, don't get me wrong. Jokic, obviously a top five player. That's when I, like, when I made this list, I'm like, there's no way I put him outside of mm -hmm. six again. Still, I'm like, especially right, being right. in that MVP conversation again, he has to be top five. So, I guess to conclude, um, I think for me, it's just like, when you're in that MVP conversation, obviously it's a regular season award. Personally, right now, if the season were to end today, I'm giving it to Embiid. Granted, at the beginning of the year, it was Steph Curry, obviously, because of what he was doing with the Warriors, and that whole slump kind of messed it up. Mm. But I would give him to Embiid only because when you look at it stats-wise, Embiid has a slider edge. And then on top of that, I'm not going to say mm. Jokic just had a worse season than last year, but it's not – I'd say he's have, he had a little, a little bit of a better season last year than this year. That's just me. But um, – to some, it might be disrespectful, obviously, because he's, like, in that, you know, top two MVP conversation. So you'd probably be like, oh, he's a top two player, mm -hmm. which y'all do see him as. And I'm not going to like, I'm not going to debate that wholeheartedly. But that's just me. I kind of see him as top five because when you look at Giannis and the Bucks, they're, a, a, I think, a three seed right now. When you look at, who else do I have? Oh, I mean, jo Joel Embiid, obviously the Sixers are, I'm sorry, the Bucks are the two, the Sixers are the three. When you look, I mean, they're obviously doing well for their squads right now. There's not really too many questions until playoff time. Uh, granted, we already talked about LeBron. And obviously the Nets, now granted they're in the play-in, but they're on their way back up. 
telling you that right now. Obviously, what with right. what we have seen. So uh, that's just my reasoning. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I just want to get your thoughts on that just because um I feel like um first of all it's clickbait to have an opinion on a Nicole oh, Yoki's sure. video, right? We've uh shout out shout out shout out to our big homie uh Rashad, man. Been making a lot of uh nuggets content, a lot of Nicole Jokic content. First of all, obviously there's that. But number two is I feel like he's such a controversial player, especially coming off of last season with the way that he earned MVP, to the point that I feel like a lot of people kind of are still carrying over some of their uh, disputes, I would say, about how last season ended. And it's carried over a little bit over to this season to the point that some people, if you even watch like mainstream uh, sports media like ESPN, when you talk about the MVP race, there are a lot of times where sometimes his name doesn't even come up in the MVP discussion, which is always so interesting. So it's always good to get thoughts on that. Another thing that I wanted to bring up to you guys real quick before we move on to some of like our quick storyline stuff is I saw this interesting tweet on Twitter. And Ryan, I'll actually start with you since we haven't heard from you in a second. But I want to get you guys' thoughts on this. So a guy on Twitter had mentioned, I'm sorry that I can't even credit him, but he had mentioned that um, he said Luka Doncic is averaging more points than Joel Embiid and more assists than Nikola Jokic, yet it is only a two-man race for MVP in the eyes of most. And I thought that was so interesting because, of course, the MVP is one of those things that a lot of people do look at overall circumstances, but, of course, there are other separate things like storyline impact that are also involved in such a narrative-based award here and there. But if we're going to go straight, strictly based off the counting stats, the things that people love to read off um, when trying to prove a point about a player, as you know, we've tried to do throughout this podcast and throughout any other episode, he, in a way, has come off as a, as a much more superior player in terms of his impact metrics on the floor. So, Ryan, what are your thoughts on that statement? And, like, do you think that Luka Doncic deserves a little bit more love in this MVP discussion? Because hilariously enough all three of us moved him down on our top 10 list despite the fact that some would argue that he's actually having a top three top five caliber mvp season i think he does deserve a couple of votes for the mvp i think luka Doncic is a player that i've always thought was mvp caliber but i don't think he ever has had the consideration of breaking the glass ceiling for him to get his name in conversations for the MVP. I think the big thing that has been like really interesting with him is the fact that he's on the Dallas Mavericks and Dallas has been a, a four seed five seed through most of his uh, tenure so far. There was the first year where he missed the playoffs. The second year he took the team to the playoffs, but couldn't, couldn't make it past the Clippers with PG and Kawhi. And then the next year he couldn't make it past the first round again with against the Clippers with PG and Kawhi. But he's performed significantly better each year that he's been in the league. I think it's just because he's gotten more accustomed to the NBA style. I think he's just gotten better overall where he's putting up the numbers to make it look like he's an MVP candidate. But I think when you look at what he does on the floor, maybe there's a point where he's not the MVP candidate people think he is. Maybe he's not, maybe they're looking at like certain skills that he's not great at. He's not the strongest three point shooter, not the strongest defender, not the most athletic guy. Maybe it's like little things like that, 
but I think he definitely deserves a few a few votes if you're looking at uh, just the stats. Because I mean, if you put up 30 points against LeBron James, if you put up 50 points the day after you trade Chris Porzingis, a trade that actually makes your team a lot better in the sense um, definitely deserves a few votes. So, Ian, I think there's an interesting point to be made about, like, this Dallas team in terms of a point that Ryan made, which is like, oh, same old Dallas floating around four and five. So you just waiting to get smacked in the first round. Luka Doncic is dropping 28 a game like he's done the past two seasons. And yet we're kind of waiting for playoff time. And I do think to a certain extent, Luka's rise in the NBA being so swift has almost hurt him to the to the point that if you guys remember when we came into this season, Luka Doncic entered the season with the number one odds to win MVP this year, and I think he actually entered the league and entered the season last year with the number one odds to win MVP as well. So. Do you think there's anything behind that that has had any impact on the fact that Luka Doncic's name maybe has not been brought up as much? Or here's a separate question. The Dallas Mavericks' defense has overperformed significantly this season. All the counting metrics have them as a top top five defensive team led by Jason Kidd, which is its own interesting backdrop, right? So, like... Do you think this is more of like the expectations on Luka and maybe him just not necessarily until he does something significant in the playoffs, he's never going to be able to play beyond that. And so therefore people leave him out of the conversation or interestingly enough, do you think it's the play of his supporting cast and how they've played, especially on the defensive end and that storyline that's actually just outweighing how good Luka Doncic has actually been this season? So kind of to answer the defensive question, I don't think that's a detriment. I actually think that should help, honestly, because that's one thing okay. they were actually missing. And that's why people were like, no, I'm not ready to put them him in that uh, MVP conversation was because they were like, oh, we don't know what he can truly do on the defensive end. Well, mm-hmm. now we know. Here's the reason why he actually isn't being put up in MVP conversations. Do I, I agree with Ryan. I will give him a couple votes because he has increased his level of play every year. Mm-hmm. But there is two things that people do take into account when it comes to MVP conversations. Okay. I'll go to the more important one later. Number one is PER. He's in the top 10 in terms of PER, but look who's at one, two, and three. Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Nikola Jokic. Yep. Luka Doncic is at number nine. If you're at number nine in that, it's a very fat chance you get an MVP nod. That's just, granted, I think it's a little overrated, but it makes sense (laughs) as to why that efficiency rating, that's why people love it. Mm. And number two, the most important reason that I actually think this is why um, he's not in that uh, conversation, and this is why I won't put him in that conversation just yet, he's second in the league in turnovers per game. I feel like people just throw that out the window because he scores a lot. Same thing with this is why I hate James Harden fans. Because they're like, oh, he's averaging a double-double. He's leading the league in turnovers. Shut up. Like, like, what are we on? Like, that's why he's not – that's why James Harden is is barely in that MVP conversation. Hmm. Why are both of them averaging more turnovers a game than Russell Westbrook? If you're doing that, there's no way I'm putting you in the MVP conversation. That's just me. That's the main reason I see as to why he's not there. Everything else has been enhanced. Think about it this way. When you see a player rise, like a Darius Garland or a John Morant, mm-hmm. sure, you see a lot of numbers elevate, but the thing that should elevate the least is turnovers and, and in terms of minus plus minus, like it shouldn't decrease. 
Mm-hmm. That's what's happening with Luca, and I'm like, I'm not going to say like he can't work on it. Of course he can. I mean, Jason Kidd's the coach, of course. Like, if there's anyone who can help him uh, make sure turnovers go down, it's him. But in terms of like, okay, yeah, all your play is elevating, but why are your turnovers elevating that much too? Mm. Like, he went from like averaging three his rookie year to like four point five per game. That's a lot. That's mm. a lot. It mm. shouldn't be yeah. that much. It should be fluctuating a little bit. That's the only reason I don't see him in that MVP conversation. Like, granted, like, during my top five or top ten list, we saw, like, I had Luka Doncic at number five because right. I really thought he had a great chance at winning MVP this year. Mm-hmm. Granted, he's going down a little bit. I'm not saying because, like, oh, he's bad or whatever. I'm just saying a lot of these guys are playing that good and limiting that, and limiting their weaknesses that less. I guess that makes sense. So that's really the only reason. If, I will say, if – he limited his turnovers. Now, don't get me wrong. He's a ball-dominant guy. The offense runs through him. That's probably why the numbers do elevate. But if he finds a way to, to be like that and still find a way to decrease his turnovers, then definitely give him the nod. Oh, like 100%. And then the, the only other thing is PER, which is debatable in general. So, But right. definitely it's the turnovers for me because uh, I think whatever a guy said on Twitter, he probably just didn't even look at the turnovers. I'm telling you right now. I mean that's a fair point. I think that I think those are all fair points to bring up. I also think the big thing for Luka Doncic right now is just the fact that we just need some level of consistency out of his team overall, right? The the Den, uh, uh the Denver Nuggets have been who they are all season. Uh for Philly, I mean yes, instituting uh James Harden into the lineup has definitely been um the top talk like the top talk of the town, but like Philly has been just about as consistent as it gets so far this season. For Dallas, I would say that their defense has been unexpectedly uh, under the radar and playing above above advertised. But this has been a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde team to the point that they had to trade Christoph Porzingis to switch the game up, right? They just needed new life in general. So maybe that lack of consistency throughout the regular season as well, the tale of two teams, as some would usually say, right? The team poor uh, before All-Star break, or I guess in this case now before the trade deadline and the team after the trade deadline. Dallas is a team that really needed a restoration process between that All-Star break and the trade deadline to really fully actualize like some of the play that we're seeing in the court right now. But um, I want to move over to quick hitters, and I know this is going to be kind of tough because we're talking about two teams we talked about earlier, and they have a lot of controversy around them. But we're going to start with the Lakers, and I want to try to keep this Le- LeBron-less if that's possible. But obviously, I know that can be a little tricky. But the conversation I want to have about the state of the Lakers is more so about your belief in them moving forward. Um, Ian, you were definitely a high LeBron supporter in the earlier parts of the, parts of the conversation, but that was absolving any of the play of the team itself and focusing strictly on his individual impact. Um. Ryan, you have been low on the Lakers from Rip, and I've been with you on that the whole way through in terms of talking about them being a play-in team. They look right right now, and they're a team that looks like they are struggling for an identity. Ian, I want to start with you in this sense of what are your projections for this Lakers team moving forward for this season in particular in terms of being a threat in the play-in tournament? Um, the state of Anthony Davis. Do you think that Russell Westbrook can grow into any kind of liable player for them if they are to make the postseason? Just your thoughts on this team in general, because as we get closer to the end of the season, the questions are only going to continue to mount up as they're running out of time to really make uh, a real case for themselves. 
First of all, I'm so glad that, well, first of all, actually, um, we got to stop showing the Lakers on national television because it's just like, oh I want to gouge God. my eyes out. I really do. It's like, why are we doing this? And your Knicks, Ryan, I don't even know why we put them <laughs> on national television. I genuinely don't know why. Julius yeah. Randle went from MIP to get him out of the league, basically. Anyway, I'm sorry, that's that's, a, that's an exaggeration. Obviously, Julius Randle were long in the league, but you get what I'm saying. I don't like Lakers fans. Ryan Ryan and my manager are the only Knicks fans I tolerate. Anyway, <laughs> bing bong, you feel me? <laughs> the Celtics are good this year. Bing bong. Anyway, um, <laughs> let me chill out. But going back to the Lakers which I don't want to talk about, but we do. Um, I really think their ceiling is the play-in, and I only really think that because, like, the team as a whole is inconsistent. I mean, again, we talked about the Raptors, the Raptors. I mean, look, the Raptors are also one of those teams that are probably flirting with the play-in spot right now, mm-hmm. and you're you're beating the Lakers like that? Like, it's ridiculous. Um, but here's my thing. Look, with the Lakers, I probably – I genuinely do see, see them as that last play-in spot. I really do. Like, literally getting to number 10. Because don't get me wrong. Look, the Pelicans are slowly rising. I'm not going to say, like, they're going to be, like, a certified play-in or a playoff team. I think the Pelicans stay decent enough. Granted, Brandon Ingram's hurt right now. But once he comes back, they'll be fine. To to a point where they they will stay within that 8-9 to range. I generally think the Lakers are playing or flirting a little bit with them Spurs who are are, uh, trying to get in there right now. I mean, granted, I don't know how the – the Trailblazers are still fighting right now, but that's besides the point. But I still think the Spurs enough with DeJounte Murray are are good enough to try and, or I guess run the March Madness season, sneak a bid from uh, the play-in teams right now. So I think their ceiling literally, I think their, yeah, I think their ceiling is literally playing, like getting a nine or 10 seed where they are currently right now at the nine. And then honestly, I think their floor is getting bounced out. I definitely could see the Spurs getting in there and the and the Pelicans kind of just wavering in that play-in spot. Honestly, I think it'd be hilarious. And as a Celtics fan, I think it would be very hilarious if the Lakers just didn't make the playoffs. I would cry of laughter. And matter of fact, if they don't, then I put LeBron out of my top five. Put it that way. Okay. But but look, I will. I know. Swear to God, I will. I will. Like I'll like I'll make okay. a video. Not, not not like a video. Like I'll screen record it on my phone if they don't make the playoffs, like putting LeBron from two and then like just moving everybody up until I get to like, I don't know, six or seven or whatever. But look, but I mean, I think they'll probably make the plan. That's just where I'm trying to get my head around. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. So I hate the Lakers so much. Like, yeah. The fact that they get so much media attention <laughs> is just so ridiculous. Trust that, go me, ahead. No, trust me, because we try to stay away from it as much as humanly possible. But as we come down this stretch for the season, the play in tournament is going to be the most intriguing conversation outside of maybe what the top of the East. Those are probably the two main conversations, the play in tournament area for the Western Conference and the top of the Eastern Conference in terms of jockeying for seeding, especially because your Celtics and my Bulls are in that mix where we're literally about a half a game away from everything. So. Yes. Of course, that's those are going to be the big talking points. Ryan, one of the biggest things that stood out to me for the Lakers is Anthony Davis having the optimism of being able to come back in time for the play-in tournament. But the fact that there's been a couple of stats floated around, one of them is that the Lakers have the eighth best strength of schedule in terms of eighth easiest, I guess, strength of schedule between uh, now and the end of the regular season. But they've only really won games. I mentioned this earlier in which LeBron James dropped 50-plus. And apparently, Russell Westbrook is shooting less than 10%. I think it's precisely 9% since the uh, since the All-Star break, 
which is an insane set of circumstances as well. When you talk about the fact that you need your second best player that's available to be playing some of their best basketball when the when the schedule is actually most favoring them to to make a run. So um, I want to get your thoughts on the Lakers toward the back end of the season. And I think something that has to be discussed is like they've got a couple of teams in front of them that could be the difference between getting in and the Clippers who are feisty and Minnesota, who I think is like the sneaky darling team of the West with the way Carl Anthony Towns has played, especially recently dropping the 60 piece. You know what I mean? So like your thoughts on the Lakers path moving forward, because in this playing tournament, I just don't think they're as safe as maybe how they were last year to a certain extent where they were in similar territory, but I actually think the teams they have to stare at are actually a little bit more intimidating with like the way they've been playing this year. I don't think they're as safe as we think they are either Jalen, because again, you're, you're sitting at ninth place in the West. New Orleans is a game and a half out of the nine spot. Portland, who's somehow still in this, two and a half games out of the 10 spot, uh, or two 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 and a half games out of the nine spot where the Lakers are at. And then you also have San Antonio, who's still lingering in there as well. They're three and a half games back. So there's there's not a lot of room for disappointment for the Lakers mm-hmm. because, let's face it, I've I'm just going to be honest, Jalen. They've disappointed enough, and I I don't mean that as a joke or anything. They've they've disappointed us. It's bad. Like Russell Westbrook is shooting nine percent since the All Star break. That's real. Yeah, no, that's a real thing. Is it real stat? Yeah, no, I wasn't kidding when I said that earlier. No, he's like, there's like that. There's actually like a graphic that's floated around Twitter and Instagram that's like literally like. He's been shooting 9% from beyond the arc since All-Star break. Yeah, it's Wow, bad. I'm sorry, continue. Wow. Yeah. That tells you everything you need to know. Like, again, <laughs> if you shoot 9% since the All-Star break and your team is where where they are right now, 29 and 39, ninth in the West, a, a five-and-a-half game difference between them and the Clippers, who, by the way, don't have Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. That's all I, I that that's all that's all that's all I needed to say right there right. for how much of, for how much of a disappointment the Lakers have been. And again, frankly, the only the only way they can get out of this is if LeBron continues to play at an elite level for the rest of the season. And the only way they could do that is if he drops at least 40 points every single game and that's even tough for him to ask at age 37. Yeah, I mean, some of my like closing thoughts on the Lakers, because I want to move to uh, Ian Celtics and talk about them a little bit more in depth, mainly because um, I'm trying to strategize here, try to see if I can pass my bull some notes. But um, overall, with the Lakers, my biggest fear for them, right, is that there's this certain expungence of energy that LeBron James is going to have to display or, uh, I guess, let out, I guess, He's going to have to exhaust himself in this final stretch. I understand that the schedule is extremely easy according to like the rankings, but this team has proven that they can't even win the gimmies unless he plays at an elite level. And I just fear that with that being the circumstances, we saw this same thing, a perfect example. Here it goes. Perfect example is, you guys remember the bubble Portland Trailblazers? 
That is exactly what I see in this team. In in all of the similar ways of their super and granted they had CJ McCollum, which even but granted he was coming off injury as well, so that that made things tricky. But that actually makes them even more relatable to that team. Talking about Anthony Davis not being available in a hundred percent, this team reminds me a lot of that bubble to Portland Trailblazers team that is going to make maybe a strong run and maybe start to turn some heads towards the back end of the season as LeBron James makes a push for being the, the to winning the scoring title, for example, and being a guy who is going to be discussed in the top five MVP um, race. But I think when it comes playoff time, it's just going to be too much. Even in a winner go home scenario, I think in a winner go home scenario, it's even more detrimental to them. Because I don't think, and this might sound weird, but like, I don't think they're as talented as that Portland Trailblazers team. And I didn't think that Trailblazers team was all that then. So that that's probably my biggest thing for them. Oh, Ryan, I want to let you get your final point. And then I want to pass it to Ian about the Celtics. I have a question for him. Yeah, yeah, trust me, trust me. You you want you want Ryan to go first because I'm about to go on tangents about this Celtics team. Yeah, man. yeah, no, my bad. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Jalen, just look at the rest of the Lakers schedule. The only there's only two teams that they play that are not I that are either not in the uh play in tournament or not even in the playoff picture at all. The Wizards on the road and then at home against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Every other team is either in the playoff picture or uh, in the play-in tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a great point to focus on, I mean, because of the fact that, like, yeah, eighth, eighth uh, easiest this, this late in the season might sound good out loud, but again, with the way this Lakers team has been playing, there's still no gimmies, right? I mean, you know, strength of schedule is more based on the the teams that are above 500 versus below 500. So that gets kind of tricky with the fact that the East and the West are extremely jumbled up. But Ian, like talking about the Celtics for a second, I want to transfer over to them and focus on their team as a whole, right? Middle of the pack offensive team in terms of scoring uh, as both a, a, a points per game team and overall offensive rating at 15th in the league. But this third in opponents' points per game, second in defensive rating this season, big-time play from Jason Tatum. Robert Williams is starting to finally be actualized a little bit. Al Horford has oddly brought stability to this team in a way that I didn't know centers could bring stability to a team. Um <laughs> Derek White, I think, is like the the underrated, unsung MVP signing of the trade deadline for as a team for a team that needed something like Boston. It wasn't that Boston needed a shakeup. I bring up Lord, the Jalen Brown trade rumors. We even talked about that stuff earlier in the season and how odd that was that that was brought up when you think about the kind of trade market available. And the fact that I remember, I think in our off season discussion with you about Boston, JB was only out if Dame Lillard was involved. And I think even then, I think you wanted to try to avoid, involving JB by any means necessary. Granted, I think we all understood that you wouldn't be able to, but Damian Lillard was somebody on the table that would be like the only reason you were willing to even truly consider trading JB. And so far that's looking really good with both of those guys averaging north of 20 points per game per huge, obviously. Um, but just, man, can you just kind of get like further in depth about your team? I know we talk about Jason Tatum a lot, but like this stretch that your Celtics have been on over the last couple of weeks has been 
I think hands down one of the better turnarounds in the NBA post-trade deadline outside of maybe Dallas, honestly, in terms of a team that just seems more revitalized. Look, look, let me go on my tangent. All right. (laughs) So at the beginning of the year, right, at the beginning of the year, Mm -hmm. people were like, Look, Celtics are a 500 team, this, that, and the other thing. I think I, I think when y'all brought me on for y'all little carousel thing where y'all were doing the teams, mm-hmm. I said our ceiling was a four seed, which mm-hmm. we're pretty much battling with, and then our floor was a play-in. Pretty mm-hmm. accurate, right? I mm-hmm. think, like, y'all would say it's pretty accurate. Okay. So then it looked like at the beginning of the year, we were going to go 500 and be one of the last play-in spots. And at the time, the Celtics were my drinking inspiration. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> I'd be like, here we go. Crack open a Michelob Ultra. Sponsor the boys. You know what I'm saying? But look, crack open a Michelob. I'm like, here we go, man. Because I'm telling you, every fourth quarter, it was, we'd be up by like 15, 20, and blow a lead. Mm. And I'm like, this, we can't keep doing this year after year. It's so frustrating. I don't know what happened between October and February. But the flips went so crazy. I went from I was already I already loved the team. Like I'm never gonna be one of those fans that's like I hate this team. Blah blah blah. Unless there's something really like the only time I genuinely hated watching the Celtics was when Kyrie was there and there was so much chemistry issues going on that we usually never have. I was like I hate this team right now. But I'm never gonna hate the team. There's times I'm like I just know we can be so much better. I just had like faith was like slowly slowly seeping away until February. Mm. Right? We went from one of the worst defensive teams, I'm talking efficiency-wise, to, boy, you cannot score on us. I don't, I don't know if y'all remember this. Way back when y'all had me on, like before this year, like during one of the, like, probably early, like, 2021, one thing I was so adamant on, I was like, we need to start Robert Williams. Anytime mm-hmm. he was on the floor, the team got better defensively, and we won the rebounding battle. Anytime we had Ennis Cantor, granted we bought Daniel Tice back, but there was no way Daniel Tice should have been starting over Robert Williams. I was telling people this, so I was like, oh, but he can shoot three. I don't care. Bring him off the bench. Bring him off. I mean, there's just so many shooters that come off the bench. That's like telling me, like, somebody's like, oh, but he's a shoot. He's a center who can shoot, though. Robert Williams can't shoot. Okay, Luke, Luke Cornett is on our team. He can shoot the three. Should he be starting? He's like, shut up. Like, you know what I mean? So... Then, it, then you know, Brad obviously went to the GM role. He brought in uh, Ime Udoka. I'm not going to lie. At the start, I was like, can he actually coach this team? Now it's looking like, boy, if he keeps doing what he's doing, he is a dark horse for coach of the year. I'm not saying he'll win it, Ooh. but dark horse. Also, uh, one thing I will advocate for, Robert Williams should definitely be in the conversation for Depoy. I don't know how he isn't. He has a better defensive rating than Rudy Gobert and Draymond Green, who are both in, in the top two conversation for that. I don't know how that's besides the point. But everything is clicking. We went from a team that didn't really know what to do defensively and in the fourth quarter how to keep a lead to, all right, you better make sure that you have a surmount like a surmountable lead in the fourth quarter going up against these Celtics because, boy, they will find a way to claw back. And then going back to your point, Jalen, with Jason Tatum, one of the things I didn't like about him, everything else I love about him. I love everything about him now. But one of the things I didn't like, especially years before, that stupid dribble step back, dribble step back, when the offense was so stagnant. He made, made it a point to make sure he got in the playmaking game this year. So now you're seeing him, okay, sure, he'll make a little step back, 
but then boom, pass out to Marcus Smart. The ball movement is going so crazy. If you look at the film from the beginning of the year to now, the ball movement is crazy. The amount of ball screens, back screens, the amount of times Jason Tatum is involving himself in a post game, but kicking it out to Marcus Smart, who I usually don't like shooting threes, but we'll hit it now. That's ridiculous. I love this team. I'm not even going to lie to you. I genuinely think this team can make the Eastern Conference Finals if we're playing at this level. Now, don't get me wrong. I think in one, in the beginning, the only, okay, I say this because I think we do secure like a four seed and get home court advantage for the first round. If we do that, yes, I can see us in the ECF, depending on who we play in the second round. But if we're under that, it'll be a little tougher, I will say, because let's just put it this way, kind of to Jalen's kind of Celtics bull sting. I think in that series, it depends who gets home court. That's it. Straight up. I, you ain't lying. You are not lying. I straight up do. And I'm not going to be like, oh, well, but the, the Celtics are playing better right now. The Bulls are kind of on and off. I don't care. Playoffs is a different time. And yeah. we know what DeMar can do. So I genuinely think it'd be, it's who has home court advantage. If the Bulls have it, I think the Bulls win in seven. If the Celtics have it, I think the Celtics win in seven. Because don't get me wrong, both of them teams, when they are clicking, are tough to guard. Yeah. So to kind of sum up my Celtics, I, I was like, look, look. First off, if my mom ever be listening to these podcasts, which I told her to listen to, look, I'm, I'm not an alcoholic. Look, I'd be drinking for fun now. I'd be drinking watching the Celtics for fun. I'm like, man, let me turn on the Celtics game, man. Let me see them do their thing. Hey, don't get me wrong. We have a, we have a very tough matchup against the Warriors tonight. Mm. But, look, the, the, the spread was, like, if, if we're playing the Warriors, like, back then, the spread would have been, like, oh, Warriors are eight-point favorites. They're only two-and-a-half-point favorites, and the line is actually going down. Yeah. And they're playing in – yeah, yep. that, that's the thing. You know what I'm saying? So there, there's a reason why that line is that close. So to sum it up, for those I said it earlier in the podcast, for those of you who were saying you got to trade one, also one of one of the uh, crazy people was like, oh, maybe you should add Jalen Brown and and when we have Romeo Langford in, in like two first rounds for Ben Simmons, I hope you fall off a cliff. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie to you because there is no way I'm trading – a guy like Ben Simmons for Jalen Brown, who honestly, oh my goodness, could you imagine if JV was on the Sixers? That'd be unreal. But like Ben Simmons honestly would have made us even more stagnant. What are you talking about? Like all those trade packages I was seeing before the, the all-star break with, oh, you got to trade one or the other. I don't hear it now. We're... Crickets, boy. Stop it. Stop playing with my team and my name, man. I'm telling y'all, man. That's it. That's it. That's all I got. No, man, I feel you, bro. And just to address something that you mentioned earlier, talking about Robert Williams and the depoy race, man, we can all make ploys all we want about the defensive player of the year. But at the end of the day, I think, honestly, the the committee that makes votes on that stuff only sees Giannis, uh, Rudy Gobert, and Draymond Green on a regular year-to-year basis. Because another guy who I think should be in there is Jaron Jackson Jr. I mean, I think he's another guy who should definitely be in the conversation. Doesn't even get brought up. Miles Turner in years past has definitely been a guy that's always been in the convo, but it always feels like he's like the furthest third place guy in in voting history whenever he's like even in the mix. But yeah, so pretty much just like wrapping things up with the Celtics, Ryan, I wanted to pass things over to you to kind of just get your final thoughts. I know that we discussed them pretty in-depthly so far today, especially talking about Jason Tatum and stuff, but just any final thoughts before we move on to our um, our last topic for today? Jalen, you mentioned the opposing points per game. Boston's third, and in the defensive rating, they're second this season. Let's compare that to last season. Last season, 11th in opponents' points per game, and defensive rating, they were 14th. So I think that's, an, I think that's just a, a big difference. And I think 
that really has to do with the coaching change. I think uh, Emi Udoka has really changed things on both ends for the Celtics. I think the other big thing too, um, Ian, I kind of want to get your perspective on this. Is it time to name Marcus Smart the long-term point guard of this team? Because I had questions about whether or not he could hold that position down, but he's 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 improved recently. I think he's really accepted his role as a third option on this team, but I just want to kind of get your thoughts on that. Uh, You know, to be honest, it's kind of interesting. I feel like it's like I got to wait a little bit because like, for me, like, don't get me wrong, like, even when we did the Celtics, you know, the the team carousel, whatever it was y'all did, um, like, I wasn't sure. Like, I was like, maybe we do need to go out and get a different guy. That's why we had the Damian Lillard conversation, right? You know, like, um, it's it's it depends. Like, if we can get to a finals with Marcus Smart, then, yeah, he, he'll be our point guard of the future. But if he if we keep going to that point of, oh, no, he can't really do that, like, he can get us so far as the ECF, Maybe we do look into, okay, he's the sixth man off the bench and we bring in a star, uh, like, playmaking point guard to help out Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But, I mean, it's working right now. So I think the question is – I mean, not the question. I think the answer is yes, but we have to wait. It's like like an asterisk next to yes because we have to wait to see how far he can actually take us with how far we're playing right now. So that's a good question, though. So the, the final part of the podcast is that I want to get you guys' thoughts on like uh, the most intriguing storyline that you guys are keeping your eye out on as we wane down to the last month of the season. I know that all of us are in March Madness mode, either making brackets, getting brackets busted, or talking about different players that could potentially be in this NBA draft moving forward. But the NBA is still in full effect, and April is around the corner. We know playoff time is when things get really big in the league. So, Ian, I'll start with you. What's one big intriguing, uh, or maybe it doesn't have to be big, but what's one intriguing storyline that you're keeping a close eye on um, as the season wanes? I mean, obviously, I mean, the, the first thing that comes to mind is the Lakers. I mean, what do you really do once, you know, the season's over, obviously, based on where they stand? But that's besides the point. I think everyone's talking about that at this point. The one that people aren't really talking about, it's not necessarily, not necessarily like a, a big storyline, but I'm telling you right now, because I said it on your podcast, I said it on my podcast, I said it in arguments. I still don't believe Tom Thibodeau should have won Coach of the Year last year. You already know who I thought I should have won last year, Monty Williams. I really yep. thought he was snubbed, like robbed for real. If he doesn't get it this year, <laughs> after everything Phoenix is and has gone through, I'm talking about going to the bubble, winning all the games, and you know not getting in the playoffs. Granted, that's in the past, but still – that's how great of a coach he was. I'm talking about a team that wasn't as strong in the, in, you know, before the bubble to now there, you, you can look at them as like a perennial Western conference final team. If he doesn't win it this year, I'm going to the NBA headquarters and rioting because there is no way he doesn't win it this year. The only reason why I have to actually say this because he is the favorite right now, but I have to say this is because of how good the Cavs have been this year with JB Bickerstaff and then, obviously, how good the Memphis Grizzlies have been. Those are the only two other coaches who I can see. I mean, obviously, you can put, like, the uh, – Yeah, I was going to say the Heat in there, too. But yeah. I'm telling you right now, based on how good the West have been, has been, and how the Suns have been playing without Chris Paul, you have got to give him the award. Granted, this is – I'm saying this before anything else has happened, and I know it's March. Granted, the season ends in April. But – 
as it currently stands right now, give Monty Williams the award or I am going to the NBA headquarters. I am making picket fences. You ever seen Shrek? You ever seen Shrek? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Uh, like, I'm treating y'all like the swamp. I'm getting my guys, and I'm rioting. So, yes, oh that's that's God. what I'm paying attention to. Ryan, how about you, man? One intriguing storyline you're keeping an eye out on for the rest of the season. The chaos that is the Eastern Conference, because just the entire conference itself, the top 10 teams right now, there's, there's no definitive one seed. I think the play-in tournament could be changing uh, before the season ends. I think that there's a chance that uh, a team like the Hornets move up, a team like the Hawks move up. I think the Nets could somehow find their way in the top six. There's a chance that Cleveland could move down a couple spots. There's a chance that the Celtics could secure a top four seed. Honestly, I'm really intrigued to see what the Eastern Conference has in store for the rest of the season because it's just there's so much to – take into account with each of the teams in the Eastern Conference, especially with how um, with how things have changed recently with the James Harden trade um, with the Philadelphia 76ers. Like I mentioned earlier, I, I think the race to the one seed could be interesting. I think the playing picture itself is interesting. Just a couple of those elements I think are what going are, are what's going to make the Eastern Conference uh, interesting to end the season. Yeah, and I mean, for me, sticking, or I'm actually move over to the West. I honestly think that um, an intriguing storyline to watch is who gets the two seed in the Western Conference between Memphis and Golden State. They've been jockeying pretty thoroughly over the last couple of weeks. The Grizzlies maintain it right now, only a half a game up. Obviously, the Warriors play the Celtics tonight um, as we're recording this on uh, March 16th. But I think the team in the West that gets the second seed might have the most desirable path moving forward in terms of making a run at the championship in terms of just what's in front of them from a seeding standpoint. So I think that that's going to be really important, especially because both of these teams have an interesting flaws that if they get the wrong matchup, for example, I think there could be some serious trouble for them um, if they catch the wrong team. So I just, I think that's going to be really important. I think for the Grizzlies, it probably matters a lot more to them. But the Warriors are also um, a Jekyll and Hyde team um, over the last couple of weeks in terms of a team that's still trying to reintegrate reintegrate Klay Thompson. Now, that Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, Jordan Poole starting lineup, though, has been doing damage. So it's one of those things that, you know, now that you have Draymond Green also added back to the fray, it's going to be interesting. But that race to the, uh, to the two seed, I think, is going to be really important. But, um, Ian, we're going to give you the floor to uh, promote anything that you have upcoming or any last words in terms of um, just stuff you want to share on the pod, and then we're going to get up out of here. Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, thank you all for having me on the pod, obviously. Um, it's always a great time coming on. Um, I think it's one of the more regular episodes because I disagree with Ryan again. Um, <laughs> but, no, and, and all, it, it's always a great time coming on. Uh, shout out to the boy Brooks who couldn't make it. Uh, obviously, it's a hectic time for anybody in and outside of sports, or especially uh, content creators like yourself. So um, appreciate it. Uh, but I, I mean, look, episode today uh, for the impact. Um, I'm literally like an hour after this. I'm recording a March Madness full preview episode. Um, obviously, you know, stay tuned with all the stuff we got going on at Bleach Report. Uh, we doing a draft crash course show for the NFL. Yada, yada, yada. We might be doing a, a, a March Madness Final Four watch party thing with Brenda Haywood and Rex Chapman and uh, maybe Ernie Johnson. Who knows? So we got that going on, too. Um, 
And, and lastly, I don't know if y'all ever heard of the game called Portal. It's like a, you, it's a, if you heard of Wordle, you, y'all know what Wordle is, right? It's the guessing game, right? Yeah. Guess the player, like based on their like high. Yeah, so you got like that stuff. Yeah, I've seen so that. So it's yes. a fun game. I, I would encourage y'all to, you know, tell you know your supporters about it. It's a fun game. If you're a hoop head, you'll definitely enjoy it. Some of them is tough. Some of them are tough. So um, it, I can send y'all a link to after this. But like, it's a game called Potal. Basically, your first three guesses, you basically just try to guess the NBA player. Your first three guesses, you can't look at the silhouette. And then after like your fourth one, or on your fourth one, you can look at the silhouette. And if you know the player, you can just say it. But they give you hints. Like if you're in the right conference, if you're in the right division, even if you got the age right, the height right, the position right. It's a fun game. If you're a hoop head, especially if you're listening to the podcast, you got to be a hoop head. But if you're a hoop head, you'll enjoy the game. It's a fun game. But uh, again, appreciate y'all. And um, yeah, man, it's always a good time. For sure. So Ryan, uh, been a solid episode as always, my guy. Let's get up out of here. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, what do you think is the most intriguing storyline in the NBA so far? We want to thank our guest Ian Evans for coming back on the podcast with us and talking some NBA basketball and definitely check out the content that he has coming up with not only the impact, but also with Bleacher Report. This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple. You rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.